This morning I'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be here for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard, and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, Most of us are in small groups, and we uh, call them community groups here, fellowship groups where I come from, life groups uh, also, small groups uh, where people gather to share their stories and learn to know Jesus better. A great icebreaker question is, what is the happiest day of your life? In other words, share with the group what your happiest day is. Now, uh, many people, of course, go, I got more than one, so I'll pick one. Uh, but what is the happiest day of your life to this point? What, what's the thing that if I said, what is it, or you shared it with a group of people, you'd say, this is my happiest day. Now, I, if I was going to guess for the Sawyer Twins, what is one of the happiest days of your life? It was winning the state championship in Massachusetts in their high school team soccer. Now that is a happy day. The picture of them all running together, having had two daughters who played a lot of soccer and being on soccer fields, I knew the gloom and misery of loss. But I also knew the thrill of watching girls run out onto the field, embracing and cheering and loving each other. So excited that they had won. Uh, the game, and in this case, the state championship. So I know you're all saying, well, Clyde, what's one of your happiest days? Okay, let's hang with me. So, uh, so let's go back uh, 42, 43 years. Um, 
So um, Valerie and I had been married for a few years. We got married in 1975. Uh, and when we got married, uh, we went to Philadelphia to seminary there. And after seminary, I went to work for a college ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And we wanted to get started. And we were eager to start our family at that point. But we knew that we wanted to allow Valerie to work with me for a year and get a feel of what it was like to be in the ministry. And so... So then we thought, all right, we're ready. Let's have, let's, let's have a family. Uh, we're ready to start. And so the months went by. Uh, uh, then a year went by. And all of a sudden, I had this terrible feeling, this thinking fear. What if we're infertile? What if we can't have a child? I mean, I'd always dreamed about being a dad. And if I had dreamed about being a dad, Valerie had multiple dreams about being a mother. And I cannot begin to explain to you the struggle, uh, but I have felt it and know it, what it's like to realize we might not be able to have children. And so it was like, oh my goodness, this is the worst feeling in my life. Now, to connect me now to your former pastor, my good friend Rick Downs, uh, Rick and I stayed connected through a number of things, but... I went to recruit him to come to North Carolina to work with InterVarsity with me. And so while I was there, I went to a prayer meeting. Yes. I, okay. Nope. I just forgot to turn my mic on. Thank you, Leonard. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Uh, so uh, let's start all over. No. Uh, so it was, uh, it was Christmas time. And it wasn't Christmas time. I got... So anyway, I'd gone down to Florida. Rick was living with T in Boca Raton, Florida. They were on the staff of a church there while he was finishing seminary at Extension Campus in Miami. So I went to be with him to recruit him to come to North Carolina to work with me in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So that's part of how our friendship started. So, you know, a year plus of realizing we might be infertile, Rick said, why don't we go to a prayer meeting at our church, Spanish River Presbyterian Church, and it was a prayer meeting of 15 to 20 people. It says, why don't you come? There was some worship time, teaching on prayer, uh, share about prayer requests. And at this point, I, I was really feeling desperate, and I was not afraid to say, please pray that we can have a child. So uh, that was my prayer request. Um, simple, uh, humble, and uh, I don't remember if it was prayed for in the prayer meeting, but here's what happened after the prayer meeting. After the prayer meeting, people were greeting and introducing themselves, and a woman came up to me and said, Clyde, don't be afraid. The Lord has told me you're going to have a child, and you're going to have a son. Now, for Presbyterians, this is crazy stuff. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know? I thought this was a Presbyterian church, you know? And... Um, but she was just very polite, very kind, and she disappeared. I, I've never seen her again. I hope to see her again in heaven. But she was just so clear. And I went away from that just saying, God, are you speaking to me through this, through this, this thing? And um, a couple months later, we're pregnant. And then a couple months later, we'd, we, it was a surprise, but now I'm going to fast forward to November the 29th, 1980, I'm hosting an event for 400 people in Charlotte, North Carolina for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I'm not the MC, but I'm in charge. And we have all these people packed in. We have Billy Graham's brother-in-law, Leighton Ford, come to preach. I mean, the place was packed. It was 
filled with thanksgiving, filled with the joy of what God was doing through this ministry. I'm sitting at a table with Valerie, who's now eight months pregnant, um, her sister and her husband, my parents, her parents. So we're at a table of eight, and we're getting going through the, uh, the experience of hosting a banquet. We're singing. We're singing, I will call upon the Lord. Um, and uh, because when I'm called upon the Lord, that's where I'm safe. And all of a sudden, I notice Valerie and Kate are talking to each other, and uh, they're just, and then they're talking to their mom, and their mom talks to her dad. Now, her dad is this grouchy old Marine named Chuck. He walks around from the table, comes to me, and says, Clyde, Valerie's water's broken. Do something. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know. Now, Valerie and I had just, we had just run two miles together that morning. She was radiant, beautiful, but she's only eight months pregnant. I had, I it just, I never saw it coming. So anyway, so I race into the closet where they're all the coats and the person who was checking in was not there. So I'm throwing coats all over the place. I find Valerie's coat, I find my coat. We jump in our yellow Volkswagen, bright yellow Volkswagen, and we drive to the hospital, which was nearby. And I go in and I go into the, men's place where you put on your hospital gowns for men's to go in so Valerie could deliver. And I'm sitting there, I remember I'm watching a basketball game, you know, typical guy. There's an NBA basketball game on the screen, and I'm kind of watching the game, and I'm dressing, and I hear this voice coming down, Mr. Godwin, Mr. Godwin. And the woman who was a nurse comes right into the dressing room and says, you better get down here because you're going to have this baby quick. And I go, oh my gosh. So I race, we sprint into the room. And so there's Valerie, she's in labor, and we've only been there less than an hour, okay? She's in labor, and this nurse, who was amazing, she was supposed to go off the shift of her at 11 o'clock. She's a Lamaze coach. I'd only done half of the Lamaze, that's birthing classes. I'd only done half of them. And she's looking at Valerie, she's looking at me, who looks like this shell-shocked husband, like, what is happening? And she takes over. <laughs> she kind of pushes me to the side, says, step aside, basically, and she started coaching Valerie, and about 30 minutes later, Luke was born. It was one of the happiest days of my life. It was just so unbelievable. This gift that God had given to me, our son, and it was just, it was thrilling. And there's so much more around this that I'd love to tell you, but it is one of the, if not the happiest days of my life, is watching our son Luke born. Think about Christmas morning, what's going on with the shepherds. If we'd ask the shepherds, what's one of the happiest days of your life? Now, here's a little interesting uh, side note for those of you who love scripture, love to study the details behind it. Most likely, these shepherds were taking care of the sheep that went to the temple. So they were shepherds for the temple. They were raising these sheep to go to the temple to be sacrificed. So just file that away, think about it as we go along. But think about what it was like for the shepherds to be there that night, who were outcasts, who were ceremonially unclean, who were the least, the poorest of the poor, and in fulfillment of the promise of redemption, God said, I'm going to bring good news to the poor. Uh, and Jesus is coming for them as a baby. But what we want to see here as the angels, uh, angel appears and says, first of all, there's good news of great joy, and then the curtain opens, and then the angels, thousands upon thousands, are ch chanting together, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, 
and then among those with whom he is pleased. And so this chant is going on, and oh my goodness. But if we were to ask the angels, what was one of the happiest days of your life? And we'll be able to talk to angels, they can talk, because <laughs> we've already seen that Gabriel and all that. They would have to say, I was a part of the choir. I was there when this whole thing opened up. And I was chanting glory to God in the highest. And what we want to see here this morning is that God's glory connects us to joy, it connects us to peace, and it connects us to pleasure. Uh, What about the angels? What's going on here? Peter tells us that angels long to look into this story of God's plan to redeem us fallen people that we are that we've all strayed and we've all gone away. We, none of us can say we have earned a right to know God, but God has come to make peace with us through his Son. And so when the angels think about the story, when they go over this story, uh, they long to look at it. They never get tired of it. You know, I've been a pastor now for a load these many years, 40 plus, and I'll have people say to me at certain points, Clyde, you talk too much about grace. You know, you talk too much about the gospel. It's just, can we learn some other stuff? I mean, there are lots of things like infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism, and there's other things. Surely we can do some more theologically enriching things, which is all important, but you can never hear the gospel enough. And if the angels long to look into the glory of the gospel, and they continue, they never get tired of it. And if you're starting this Christmas and you're tired weary, or just feeling kind of like this is yesterday's news, let me give you good news. It is the best news that God can bring to us, and he wants to reawaken in us the joy of the glory of the gospel. Now, a couple other things to think about angels. What were some of the worst days for them? Uh, Right away out of the gate, the angels come and care for Jesus after he starts his ministry and he has been tempted. Uh, the gospel writers tell that they, the angels came and ministered to Jesus in his hour of need. That must have been so traumatic for them because they loved Jesus. And they had worshipped him and adored him and served him. And now this great king is now allowing himself to enter into the battle for our souls. But even a more powerful story is found in the uh, the Gospels, where Jesus is in the garden and he is really struggling. And he is sort of being overwhelmed with what's going on here. And uh, it says that he, he was really at the end of himself and the angels ministered to him. They cared for him and he prayed even more fervently. Now, One of the things the Bible tells us uh, is that people are entertained or served by angels and they don't even know they were served by angels. So let me tell you one more story about seeing God's glory that has led me to joy. At one of the lowest points in my life, um, and I was so discouraged, and if you've heard this story, bear with me, it's worth repeating. Uh, In my family, my dad would tell the same stories over and over, and my brothers and I would look at each other and go, here we go again, (laughs) you know, and he would always embellish it. But this story is worth retelling. 
So I'm at one of the lowest points in my journey. And I'm driving back home in North Carolina in a six-lane highway going west. And a couple of months before, I'd heard a message that goes like this, where Martha is complaining to Jesus that Jesus now wants to take care of and bring Lazarus back to life. And so Jesus says to his followers, take away the stone. And Martha goes, why would you do that? you got to love the Bible. Martha starts chewing on Jesus like, why would you do that? Why would you just, you know, I mean, he stinks, you know? And for some of you, you're like Martha at this point coming into Christmas. Why would you get all that excited? Why would I allow myself or be willing to feel joy again or believe there are greater, happier days than I've ever had before? You just, you got to love the humanity of Martha. She is at the, her wit's end. Jesus, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And Jesus already said, roll away the stone. So we want to pause right here, right now. God is preparing each one of us to take away the stone of our unbelief, the stone of doubt, the stone of fear, the stone of pain. He wants to roll away that stone and call you and I out. But here's where you've got to love Jesus. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, you just got to Watch the way he cares for Martha in her stinky unbelief, okay? I mean, she is, oh man, she is messing up big time. And Jesus says to her, Martha, don't you remember I told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You will see the glory of God. Now, when I heard someone use this story and kept his punchline was, if you believe, you will see the glory of God, um, I, uh, it really hit me. And I started thinking about it. John eleven forty. I thought about it, I prayed about it, but I was staying very defeated by what I was going through, so much so that I would just I was at a real point of despair. I'm driving back home from a, a painful meeting with the people that I'm involved with, and I'm just deeply sad. I'm deeply sad. And as I'm driving along, uh, I-40 going west back to Winston-Salem, I'm driving along, I'm a little above the speed limit, but this woman comes up on my right side. Now, guys can appreciate this. If you get passed on your left side, that's one thing. But if you get passed on your right side, which is the slowest lane, you're not happy. And it, I can tell it's a woman, she's got a full head of hair, and she goes racing by me on my right side. I am not happy, you know? So I'm even more miserable than I was before. And so she pulls in front of me, and then to add insult to injury, she slows down. <laughs> and I come right up on her bumper. Now in North Carolina, there are license plates. We call them vanity plates. I've seen them here in Massachusetts as well. Five-time Super Bowl champions or whatever. Uh, you know, go Patriots. But anyway, uh, there on the license plate right in front of me, the only one in North Carolina, it has John 11. That's, that was on the license plate. And all of a sudden, I would just overwhelm with it. I mean, I just had so much joy. And I had to almost pull off the side of the road and weep for the glory of God that he would pursue me in my loneliness and my sadness and my despair. So if you believe this Christmas, my friend, there will be a miracle for you there will be a miracle for you of seeing more of the glory of Christ for you. 
It connects us to peace, the shalom of God. Comfort, comfort my people with the peace. You see, God has come to bring peace to us, which we can never lose nor forfeit. You see, we're by nature hostile towards God. We're hostile against Him. We're not for Him. And again, this is going to fly over some of you, but hang in there with me. You want to talk afterwards. But at the heart of sin is you hate God. Now, if you're willing to admit you're estranged or separated from God, sin is not just simply, I'm not doing what God told me to do. It's saying, I hate you. Now, again, that flies all over me. Now, here's why. Because my default is to say, my name's Clyde Godwin, I'm a really good guy, I just need a little help from Jesus. Okay? That's a good Southern Bubba speak. You know, I'm just basically a good guy. So give me a little Christmas cheer, a little eggnog, you know, just, just give me a little of that, and I'm, I'm golden. I'm good. But the reality is, my heart is so broken and dark that unless Jesus rescues me today... I will go back to the hostility that I feel in my relationship with him. Now, you might think, where in the world are you getting this from? Go to Romans 8. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. You can be a follower of Jesus, and that hostility is right there bubbling. But there's only one thing that can make it cool down and not make you hostile and that's to hear the good news of the mercy and love of God in Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself not being so angry or ticked off or foolish. You'll be going, Jesus, you have what I have. Now, as I've been going through Advent with you and Christmas, God has given me Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, you read these beautiful words. At the very end, it says this, um, Yes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The peace of God is to know the path of life, that I'm at peace with God through the gift of the gospel. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room, I'm going to give you the full measure of my joy. Are you experiencing that? Are you sensing that? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Is it in your friendships? It is when you go, go to work, do you go, and I, I can't wait to walk through the door of my office building or to get online and go to work for my company because I have so much joy. You know? The Christian life is not some of this sorry, self-loathing, self-pitying. It's about joy. But the problem is, there are a lot of counterfeits out there that want to say, here's where you can find joy. Here's what you can find life. Now, listen to what um, the psalmist says, because this is where God really, really spoke to me through this. Um, uh, let me go back and find sure. Um, let me just read it. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. And the verse that comes right before that is verse 4. It says, the sorrows of those who run after God shall multiply. Um, Are your sorrows multiplying? Do you find yourself not increasing in joy, but you find yourself becoming more sad? 
and lonely uh, and empty. Remember Mary, when she sings the Magnificat, she says, God sends the rich away empty. And you might feel like, I got nothing, all I got are problems. But when you let your problems make who you are define you, you're saying, I'm rich in all the bad stuff. Um, are your sorrows multiplied? If you turn to anyone else but Jesus, you will have deep, profound sorrow, unbelief, and fear. But Jesus has come to say, come back, and I want to show you that in my presence there is a fullness of God. And here's the, here's the real wonderful add-in on it. There are pleasures forever. Pleasures of my right hand for you. What are the pleasures that have come from his right hand? Jesus has gifts for us this Christmas. Pleasures to fill us and to thrill us with the hope of heaven. To fill us in ways that we never thought possible. To know, again, the gift of just giving a hug. That was beautiful, Mary Margaret. Um, just the gift of love. Some of you saw the poem that I uh, and sent out in the reader from Lucy Shaw, a poet. And one of the things she does every Christmas, she's a famous poet, great poems on Christmas and poems about life, but she writes poems for all her friends as Christmas gifts. She gives every friend a personal Christmas gift, a poem from Lucy Shaw that if you know poetry, you know her, you go, what a gift. She's giving me the gift of a poem she wrote for me. And there's a simple poem where she talks about to her friend the joy of being in their relationship, the joy of knowing each other. And she says, until I turn the corner again with you and I see Christ in you. You see, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other as followers of Jesus is let people to see Jesus in us. And to give to each other what Christ is doing in us for each other. Wow. Wow. Um, and another really sad low point uh, in my life, uh, Valerie and I are sitting in bed reading before we go to sleep, and she could tell I was very unhappy and distraught. And she read to me from the end of Hebrews 10, she said, I, I just want to share something with you. She didn't preach, she didn't explain it, she just read it to me. And it was a pleasure, it was a gift to hear the oxygen, if you will, of the truth of the promises of God to me. It's at the end of Hebrews 10. And whenever I read that passage, I connect to that verse in Hebrews 10 where God says, don't despair. Because there are better things for you. Um, I was on a train in Europe uh, riding along again in another low place of despair, and I'm just flipping, reading through the Bible. I'm in Hebrews 9, 24. Uh, and it says, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works? This Jesus who passed through the heavens, how much more will the, God, uh, the blood of his blood cleanse your evil conscience so that you're free to serve the living God? And folks, it was like Christmas. It was like the light just exploded inside of my mind and my heart. A pleasure of knowing that God was with me and he had promised to rescue me. Well, this glory of his peace leads to the glory of his pleasure. And my friends... This Christmas, if you could take time in the quiet of the morning or the evening and just sit at your Christmas tree or with a good mug of hot tea and just sit there and realize how pleased God is with you. Pleased 
as with men to men, with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. If you know the joy that God has for you, and again, know it here in your heart, not just in your head, you know how much pleasure God finds in you right now. He's never going to be more pleased with you, less pleased with you. His perfect love for you is he takes so much pleasure in you. And he wants to crown you with his loving kindness. He wants to crown you with joy. Listen to Paul saying to the Philippian church, who had problems, they had needs, and he says to the Philippians, you are my crown and my joy. Um, can you hear Jesus say to you today, you are my crown and my joy. And again, if you're a person who struggles with your own self-righteousness, your own sense of defeat, it's really hard to believe this, but it's so true. And will you open your heart today to receive it again, that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus went to a cross and died in your place. He went there knowing that it would be worth it for him to suffer and die in our place, to take all our sins so that he might give us forgiveness and his righteousness because of the joy he would find in you. Isn't that a miracle? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just like, it's so otherworldly, so supernatural, so stupendous. And to use a word from um, Elf, which is the number one favorite movie at Christ the King, okay? Ginormous. Uh, <laughs> it's ginormous joy that Buddy talks about. It's ginormous. You know, but ginormous joy for you and me this Christmas to know the thrill and the hope of our redemption this side of heaven and in the world to come. And here's how you know that Christmas is working into your heart, is that you long to be with Jesus. Because you want to see fully what we could only see. So when you're living a full Christian life that has meaning and hope, is you got one foot in this world and one foot in heaven. But for many of us, we've got one foot in the world and one foot in following Christ on the earth, but we have not allowed our hearts and minds to what's waiting for Oh, my friend, if you would open your heart to what's waiting for you this Christmas, then it is going to so change the way you live right now because you're going to want to bring heaven to earth among your family, your friends, your neighbors. You want them to see what waits for us because Jesus has come to reveal the fullness of his joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the wonders and the joys of the thrill of what Christ has done to make us uh, his joy so that we might find in him our joy together and to be able to celebrate with each other, to see Christ in each other, to love each other in ways that, uh, Lord, really do thrill us when we're able to communicate in a language that we can understand that there's somebody this side of heaven who loves me so deeply. Help us to give uh, each other that gift this year. Uh, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.